Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Avalanche Journal's primary preview. My name is Matt Dotre. I'm the go government reporter for the AJ. Uh, I'm joined today by Gary Boren. Uh, Gary is a candidate for the Lubbock County judge running in the Republican primary against Curtis Parrish and Karen Gibson. Gary, how are you? Just fine. Thank you, Matt. Yes, Appreciate sir. the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. I know you've had a busy morning. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you want to take the time to introduce yourself. I know you, uh, people in Lubbock probably know you or have seen your name before. But uh, why well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm born and raised in Lubbock, went to Monterey High School, and graduated from Texas Tech. Uh, married, I have uh, three daughters, one son, three Shih Tzus, and one German Shepherd. Okay, full household. So, yes, yeah. a full household. My mom, Geneva Bourne, uh, started our business, G. Bourne Services. Uh, we were in business 57 years. Out of that 57 years, I worked 47 years with her. And we worked with 50, 60, 70 companies in Lubbock, and um, we grew, and uh, we did Texas Tech, Texas Tech Athletics. Uh, for instance, like a football game, we mm -hmm. would furnish f over 500 workers, security, event staff, ticket takers, ushers, cleanup crews. We did Big 12 baseball, Big 12 basketball, Southwest Conference. We did, we've, we followed the whole scope of Texas Tech. Uh, we've done, um, you know, the, the South Plains Fair. We've worked with the uh, city. We've worked with um, every manufacturing company, distribution company. Um, and also, as a side event, uh, I also did some music promotion mm -hmm. and uh, started that in 2008 and brought in major entertainment groups to Lubbock, Texas, just, as, just because... It wasn't being done, and everyone said it couldn't be done, and I made a determination to get it done. Yeah, that, I remember seeing your name quite a bit when uh, Paul McCartney came yes, here sir, specifically. Yes, sir, Paul McCartney. It took five years to get him here. And it started with a phone call, going to Nashville, tons of phone calls to New York, to his headquarter account, to London, you know, catch him on the road, sending material. Uh, working with Bill Kearns here at the AJ, he's, he'd send great material. I'd take his material and I would forward it, you know, to uh, to uh, Sir Paul's headquarters and uh, his producer and his uh, his his team. And it was many times I felt like it was it wasn't going to happen. And then one day we got that call that he's coming. I thought, God, thank you, Lord. I can't believe we pulled it off. You know, because it, <laughs> yeah. it was a He'd never Five been years here. of work, I'm sure there yeah, was a little, never been a little here. relieved. <laughs> but he had every reason to be here, but mm -hmm. never would come here. You know, and so having him here was just a great historic, momentous type situation. And then, you know, I've done Alabama, I've done um, Sugar Land, Little Big Town, one of my favorite groups, uh, ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner, uh, Zach Brown, you know, before <laughs> the UT game, yeah. Zach Brown Band. And uh, with him, we had the, the meat, M-E-A-T, and greet, where he, he had a barbecue sauce and he liked to cook. So we had guests come in and we had them eat meat, barbecued, you know. <laughs> and that nice. was before the UT, you know. So, um, and then we had, uh, oh gosh, trying to think of all the other bands, uh, little, is the, the Rascals, like Rascal Flats, excuse okay. me, Rascal Flats. And um, we're working on some major ones this year, 2018, that, hopefully will come through fruition. And I mean, these are worldwide entertainers. I mean, if I was to say the first name, you'd fill it in real quick, you know. So 
Uh, you got such a great group at, at the United Spirit Arena. Yeah. You know, so, so you're still involved in that. So I, oh, you have yes. since so you since retired from G Barn Services. Yes, sir. Now right. let me. I'm sorry. I've been I'm preaching too long there. Mm -hmm. But anyway, long story short, we sold our business in October, and uh, and so uh, Mom is uh, 95, and uh, she's uh, full steam, full go, still still working, helping me in our campaign with, as with our daughters and family. So. Uh, uh, that that's a little bit about my history. Okay, okay, very nice. Uh, well, you didn't even mention the city council or the school board. You've been so you've been elected before. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. Uh, and I was 30 years old when I was elected to the school board, and that was 1982. And then I uh, served six years there, president of the school board. And while we were there, we privatized uh, a lot of the operations, the busing, the custodial staff, food service. We're trying to get education out of business services and, mm -hmm. and focus on freeing up dollars to go to the classroom. Uh, two terms on the city council. And um, uh, in both times that I was in, on the school board and or LIC trustees and the city council, two different times uh, the governor of Texas put me on committees to solve problems. The first time uh, was uh, a governor uh, who had issues, uh, education was going through reform. And so they wanted me to work on the technical vocational aspect of it. And so I was chairman of the technical vocational edu education plan. During that time, uh, Ross Perot came out and he was against FFA, FHA, homemaking. And uh, I wasn't gonna take it because I thought FFA is a great leadership course. It's great for kids. And he was saying, well, all they do is carry a chicken under their arm. So we had, we, we went, we, we clashed very hard and heavy, and I like Ross Perot, you know, we clashed hard and heavy, and uh, uh, FFA uh, survived, and FFA gave me their highest award, the, the Blue and Gold Award in Fort Worth, uh, VOAG teachers did, and FHA did, and then uh, I had, when I was on the chamber, recognized as uh, chairman of the Leadership Lubbock, I had Ross Perot come speak oh, really? to, to all the classes, yeah, because I mean, great businessman, a great mm -hmm. American. Mm -hmm. You know, I just disagreed with, he was more urban and we're more agriculture out of sure. West Texas, yeah. you know. And had Bump Wright, who was uh, chairman of the board of Texas A&M and owned the Dallas Cowboys come speak to us. We recruited him to come speak. So uh, it was a fun time and, uh, and being on the city council was a fun time and had great opportunities for development working on projects, uh, working on a lot of tough situations that uh, I don't know how we survived a lot of the stuff that was going on. Because a lot of times the economy was not booming as it is like today. Mm -hmm. It was tough, you know, and so uh, we had a lot of myriad of issues that we had to deal with. But then that's when uh, Governor Rick Perry put me on the appraisal task force to reform appraisals in the state of Texas. And I went to every major city in Texas, and we studied the appraisal, the appraisal process, how it operates, and the impact on taxation, and what are elected officials doing with that. And we found out who the, who the, uh, we found out where the mischief was being done. Mm -hmm. And the mischief is not necessarily the appraisal board, the mischief is the elected officials. Because when values go up, the elected officials should take the tax rate down to offset those high increases. But we found out that they love that free tax money and they could blame the appraisal office for it and not take responsibility. 
And that's really, in a nutshell, and that's still the same issue that's going on today. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, so not much has changed then in, in that regard. Yeah. So, so tell me when you were on the city council, what years? 2002, 2007. Okay. And while we were there also, um, 2004, I led the, I led the, the fight to uh, uh, freeze people's property taxes when you turn 65 or disabled. Uh, the, the legislature gave the counties and cities the option to vote it up or down one time. It passed in Lubbock 89-90% the year before, so you had one year to, to get it done. As soon as it came available, I pushed that thing through, and it was, was not easy. And at the time, the county did not want to do that. They did not want to let go of and, and freeze people's property. You know, but yeah. I, we felt that was the right thing to do, and so we led that fight and got that accomplished. So 2004, we got uh, your taxes frozen if you're 65 and older from that year. That's 14 years ago till today. And um, uh, I'm just glad we did it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a, a great thing to have. And uh, also start off with truth and taxation. I try to get every, every elected government in Lubbock, Texas to adopt truth and taxation. They never would do it. Because all, all truth and taxation is, it's a, what's funny about it is it's state law. And you ask them to, uh, to endorse the state law, and they wouldn't do it. It just says you'll, you recognize that each year the government body starts off with the same amount of money. It's called the effective tax rate. Yeah. And if you want more money than that, you have a cap, you know, and you, you, you go to the taxpayers. And they didn't want to do that. They didn't want that accountability. It just amazes me. So we made the, uh, we did it in Lubbock, the city council. We did it. We started off at the effective tax rate made state news and the governor uh, and you know invited us down to Austin and had me sit on the platform at the 2006 inauguration and uh, of the of the Texas legislature you know and uh, you know he basically uh, appraisals were his one of his big agenda items mm -hmm. and he says you say it can't be done but they did it in Lubbock <laughs> Texas he says y'all stand up so we stood up you know and it was quite a moment to see the whole legislature I bet, yeah. and say that you can do something about people's property tax. You, you can do something about it. There's no such thing as free money. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you realize it's not your money, it belongs to people, citizens, homeowners, property owners. And so I have that, that passion to make sure that people understand that it's their money, not the government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, well, and I want to ask you, so you're the city council you were on has come up in the news lately for not spending the bond money that was voter approved for one of the things being this, the auditorium coliseum. Uh, you know, talk about that because what I, when I went back and read our old stories, it just seems like the city council didn't want to raise property it was, taxes. It was, it, it was passed. We had, a, it, I think it was like a $30 million bond total. And so I'm having to recollect it, but it was passed with the promise that if you vote for this, so we could fix streets. Because, like I said, if we were in a, in a downturn in the economy, we would not raise your taxes. And so, working with the bond council, we scheduled the bond that was passed that as debt was being paid off, we would go into, we, we set priorities on the bond, what we would do. And I, it wasn't, the first thing was streets. And uh, we, we had uh, animal control. I want to say a million dollars for animal, uh, the animal control uh, dog pound to be be fixed, and we had I, I can't remember four or five million for the auditorium coliseum, mm -hmm. and it was online 
to be used when, the, when as debt would go down. So it wasn't it wasn't just passed and all of a sudden we spend it because that wasn't the commitment promise we made. It would be as debt went off we would we would take the bond money and then perform what was was agreed to. And uh, that would have been after I left. Okay. Yeah, because then eventually I think they just said, you know, 10 years down the line or however long it was, and they just said, oh, we don't have enough money, and then that's just kind of the situation. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I understand (laughs) that. And, you know, and that's, um, um, I just know what we did, Mm -hmm. you know, and what we made a commitment to the citizens to do. And our, our commitment wasn't, you know, it's $30 million, make or break, and we're going to spend it all, because we were very sensitive about taxes and yeah. the economy, and so we made a pledge. As the bonds were being paid off, and we would bring on new debt, and we set the priority, what that debt would be, how it would be placed. And I can't remember where the auditorium coliseum was, but the streets, that was number one. Okay. And that okay. was the number one issue to do. Okay. Well, very good. Well, let's transition to the county judge now, okay. <laughs> the job you're running for. You know, what, uh, what are you talking about in your campaign? What are you, what are you hearing from voters? Well, uh, you know, uh, I, r- I run on five points, just five issues. And I developed some of these issues from the fact that um, last fall I was on the Citizens Academy that's put together by uh, DPS Commander Albus, the regional commander for DPS, Department of Public Safety, and Greg Stevens, Chief of Police, LPD, and uh, Sheriff Rowe of Lubbock County. They take 30 citizens from Lubbock County and they show you what's going on in um, law enforcement in Lubbock County. And it's a no holds bar. I mean, they show you everything. I guess I, I need to rephrase that. They show us more than the average citizen would understand, okay. you know. And I guess uh, as I would sit there and listen to the presentation, I would see what's going on with crime. We know we have high issues here in Lubbock. We know we're part of a trafficking, uh, transport, trafficking uh, road that, that goes up from Mexico to here. And I would always ask, are you getting support from your elected officials to fight the fight you have to fight? And they would always pause and say, there's a lot of times they help us, and a lot of times, you know, it's just one of those things you work through. And it just give me signals that it's not always rosy, rosy and, and, you know, and, and I don't mean giving somebody a blank check, but if we're going to uh, hire people to, to protect us, DPS, Sheriff's Office out in the county and city, SWAT teams, and LPD with their SWAT teams, uh, then you gotta trust their judgment and experience. I have yet to see an elected official that has more experience than they do. And they understand the, who the enemy is. I'm not sure we understand who the enemy is. We, you know, we have an idea from the news and media, but below that, that cover, there is a, there's a war going on with the drug trafficking. And we have got a group of people from the state, the local LPD, and the sheriff's office that work together, great, great teamwork, to protect us, and they need support. That's my number one. That's one of my number one issues of running. Number two, uh, well, well, first of all, that was why I was running. So I start looking, obviously, as a as a citizen, why are they having money problems? Well, then I see where the commissioners keep giving themselves raises, 41 percent over the last three years, and they said they had to be competitive. I think that's a funny word to use when you're 
an elected official when you're writing your own check, competitive. And they said they compared themselves with El Paso, Midland, Odessa, Amarillo, Potter County, uh, you know, and, um, uh, you know, uh, you look at those counties and they were already making more than those county commissioners there and they still raised their salary above that. So, you know, that, that's not right. And uh, not only did they do that, but they gave themselves a $4,800 a year car allowance on top of that. And so, you know, I, I thought that was wrong to do that. And, you know, so if uh, good Lord willing, I get there, I intend to do something about that. And I'm going to put a stop to it, first of all and foremost, and I'm going to look at seeing what we can do to reduce it. Because I want to take the savings and see what we can do to go to my next point, support Sheriff Rowe, see what he's needing that maybe we can clear up uh, maybe uh, close up to $100,000. That could be two or three state, that could be two or three deputies right there that we need out in the county to help protect people and their property. Or it could be fixing a county road. So that was my, those are my th top three points. Uh, my fourth one was, of course, the roads. And my example of the roads are, uh, I'm a businessman at the city and state. We contract with paving companies to do the roads and do what needs to take place. I don't think anyone at the county has the expertise to, to drive a scraper or even kick up a, some heavy equipment and know what they're doing, from what I understand. And I'm not sure they understand how to hire the right kind of people to do that or paying them the, the kind of salaries it would take. It seems to me you need to look at the possibilities of contracting where these companies that do this, they can do miles and days, and they have the expertise, the equipment, the insurance, everything you need to get things done, they have it. So I think it's critical to understand is, is that possibility. And then uh, uh, lastly, uh, on the roads, it was, was Woodrow Road. Now that, you know, and, 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 I'm, and I, that is a road that's a two-lane highway from 84 all the way down to uh, Slide. And, you know, if you look at that, two lanes, and all of a sudden Cooper, Lubbock Cooper, is, is in the top two fastest-growing school districts in Texas. So you have a little area concentrated where they're going to grow up to 2,500 students, plus junior high and elementary, and 2,500 students is high school. You add the elementary and the junior high that's right there, the congestion of cars, students driving on a two-lane uh, asphalt road. So they have been making promises to get that fixed. I don't believe them. I don't believe they intend to get it fixed. I went down in 2012 and in front of the commissioner's court and asked them, as a parent, get this thing fixed. You're, you're creating a hazard of kids driving, people driving at night. You know, people get students being in wrecks all the time. Oh, it's, it's one of our priorities. No, it's not. It's not a priority or it would have been done. And uh, I've met with them. Uh, they're very alarmed at the traffic, that's the concentration. And I'm just appalled that they, that they have refused to do what it takes to get that road fixed. And, and now what's happening, because they have not done their duty, in my opinion, that the growth is, is going to create more issues because when you start finally trying to do things to get it fixed, it's going to create a big problem with the school district trying to work and have school around it. Now, I do have experience with roads and thoroughfares and um, Marsh Sharp Freeway. 
when I was on the council with uh, Tom Martin, former, former mayor and councilman Tom Martin, former councilman Jim Gilbreth, we worked uh, and got the uh, Milwaukee project done, a north-south thoroughfare. You know, it was uh, five, six lanes concrete, and we, Tom Martin came up with a funding, a funding plan to uh, fund that because to get TxDOT involved, you had to put skin in the game. Yeah. And when you put skin in the game and they said you're going to put something in there, they'll work with you and find funding methods to get things accomplished. So uh, we, we did that, we did the Northwest Passage, and then we, we kicked in money to get Marsha Sharp finished. Tom and Jim have been studying with me ways of doing some unique funding to do uh, some of these roads that need to be fixed, updated quickly, and also have economic opportunity for people you know, to, to, to build uh, property value in the Lubbock County. We're using the same format, the same plan, and we come up with some, I think, pretty creative ways to do so, and which brings me to my last point, which is if we come up with a method, we take it to the voters. That's democracy. I would never dream of taking something uh, to uh, passing up to $120 million with the bonds, GO bond or CO, I mean, CO bonds without voter approval. You know, um, I, I just, uh, you're, you're telling people you're smart enough to elect me, but you're not smart enough to understand what I'm doing. You know, and uh, the words the government likes to use is, you don't understand, you don't get it, it's hard to explain. No, we do get it, it's not hard to explain, and also, just because you're elected to me, you got some kind of genius or everybody else. You know, so I'm against that. I believe it's democracy to give people that opportunity to vote, and people are smart, they do do it. Okay. Yeah, so let's take, I kind of want to go back to these points and kind of hone in on them a bit more. So, yes, public safety, um, yeah, so you, so you feel like there, there is a need, there needs to be more focus on public safety. I mean, tell me how that reverts to policy. Do you know, is there anything specific that sheriff well, needs that the county you know, is not uh, providing for him? Is something that I would advise him? all candidates to do, it will, it will enlighten their mind is the first thing you do is you start riding with the, the officers. Yeah. Go out with them. I went out with the, the deputy troopers. I've gone out with DPS. I've gone out with um, LPD on, on uh, I went out, I've gone out with LPD on holidays, on weekends, where all the action would be taking place, you know, New Year's type stuff. I've been in the helicopter with DPS and watched them fight crime in the helicopter. I understand the tools they need and things they need. And they need, first thing they need, first and foremost, is our, our greatest resource, Matt, is people. You gotta, you gotta believe in your people, and then you give them the first things to protect their lives. You never wanna be in a situation where you had to go tell someone's family that they were killed or in action or shot because we did not give them the proper equipment to protect them or the weapon, or the weapon to protect them in self-defense. We gotta always make sure they have the proper equipment. And then you have the, 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 the vehicles. And then you have to also make sure, because it's a very, you know, NFL is rough. Let me tell you something, police work and firemen's work, it's rough. And, you, and they get lots of injuries, lots of uh, downtown because they get injured or hurt, because it's hand-to-hand -hand combat. And they need good insurance. We need to make sure that our insurance program for these officers and our employees is what it needs to be to be top class to recruit and to bring in 
quality type people. And so uh, it, you always start with your people, protection, equipment, and then you have response times. You know, how quick do you want to respond? For instance, I was riding with the deputy sheriff, uh, and we were on a call in Slayton. This is Saturday night, and we get a call. He gets a call uh, for a CPS case with a child off of 179 in, in Warforth. It took us 20, 25 minutes to get there, and he can't run hot because he endangers. It, it, you know, it, 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 you just got to be careful. He gets there as quick as he can, but the, I mean, we're miles away. And, and I said, gee, if we didn't need more officers out here, he said, we don't have the budget. We had one more officer in South Lubbock, you know, one more officer in Northwest Lubbock, or one more in, in the east side. You know, it would help yeah. cut that response. Well, it's life and death. In this case, all we did was uh, bust somebody for drugs and, you know, protect, and took them to the, to the, to the pen, uh, excuse me, to the uh, uh, detention center. And uh, my pen's from the old days, you know. So uh, detention center, the jail, you know. So, um, you know, yeah. yeah. So where do you free up the budget? Then? Well, you, you reestablish your priorities. You know, maybe instead of buying all the fancy equipment that's been going around, giving yourself raises, uh, wasting money on needless things that are just not priorities that of a, of, of, a, of a budget. I've never seen a government budget you cannot squeeze out yeah. a lot of money and reestablish your priorities of what's important. So, so you think those exist? Absolutely. In the budget? I have no doubt. Mm -hmm. And I've seen school budgets, county, uh, city budgets, and I've seen this in the county. It does exist. Yeah. It's priority. And, and so just, and just so I heard you correctly, so you're proposing reducing these raises that have gone up in years past freeing which would potentially free up you said a hundred thousand dollars to well if you took yeah if you took uh if, if everyone if everyone gave up twenty thousand that's five people that's a hundred thousand right yeah. there now they'll squeal they'll squeal <laughs> they sure man will, and you won't make many friends yeah I, i'm i mean but you know i'm not doing it to go over there and make money i'm doing it because we need this for our to represent our community to protect our community they'll squeal Sure, the squeal. I, I didn't expect them to sit there and say, oh, gee, here, let me make a contribution. No, <laughs> it's going to be tough. You know, I, I get it. So I've talked a lot with commissioners about these pay raises. Uh, of course, I mean, the argument they're making is that, well, these, there hadn't been a raise in eight years. Oh, I'm sorry. So this was <laughs> I hate that. Okay. Gee. Was, okay, so why is that, why is that a, a, a invalid argument? Well, it's how they do it. It's always about how you do it. Yeah. When you take it upon yourself, that's the only unique body that can vote itself a raise and not have to run on it or whatever. You know, fix, first of all, you fix that. If you're gonna be raises, you say, okay, we're gonna vote raises and then we'll all run for office. And if you're elected or that next election cycle, you can, you can accept the raise in. But the amount of the raise, I think maybe we ought to have a citizens committee of, a, of citizens, of business people, and to make sure it's being fair. So they do a comparable you know, is this raise going to put us above Amarella? Is, I mean, is, all of a sudden, does Lubbock have more than Amarella? I mean, we need to balance it out and do some cost of living adjustments. And I don't think you'd find it being what it is today. I think you'd find it about 20000 too high. Okay. You know, so I'm very, you know, I'm very emphatic about it. It's my opinion. Now, they're going to sit there and squeal because it's their livelihood. But, you know, the thing is, when they ran for the job, they knew what it paid. They saw the pay. And when they saw that they could raise it and not be held accountable, they've raised it.
So I disagree with that kind of policy. But that's my opinion. Okay. And you said it correctly. I mean, they are, they are the only government body that can give themselves raises. That's right. But that's Congress just, can. But that's just the way it's set up. Yes. You know, no one else can. They're no. in charge with their own salaries and the salaries of all elected officials in the sure. county. So I'm assuming you're just talking about county commissioners. I'm only talking about county commissioners. And on the other salaries, I think we need to do comparative data. And when I do comparative data, I've been in personnel employment. I understand that you get what you pay for. You know, uh, the other officials, uh, you have to look at, for instance, uh, let's, look at, let's look at the uh, uh, sheriff. I want to make sure that we have the best paid sheriff and that his team and staff are paid competitively so he doesn't train them and lose them to uh, municipality police force, to university police forces, to other cities. I want this to be the place that you want to work. Yeah. And I want this to be the place that gives you the best equipment because it protects us. Mm -hmm. It's our investment. Yeah. And our investment in our safety creates lower insurance premiums for homeowners and safety for your families so, uh, and a better quality of life. So I, in that case, you'll see me all of a sudden reverse the ball. I'm for having the best paid uh, armed people, you said law enforcement. You used the word competitive. Yes, sir. <laughs> May I say, so, now, now those, so why is that competitive? But because we're elected, we're elected, and we knew what the job paid. These people are employees that are looking for a, a, a life career path. And it needs to be a career path that when they spend $30,000 training them each year, we don't want to lose them, have to waste that money and start up. You want a career path where they see a place to go from being a corporal to a sergeant to lieutenant to SWAT to whichever it is. They need a career path. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are the employees. These aren't the elected people. Now, the elected people, you know, the, the same officials need to have the same competitive with other counties. I'm for commissioners being competitive with other counties, uh, but when they went up on their raises, they were already above the other counties. So I would say getting business people, getting community people to do to come together and say, let's look at the commissioner's salary. How much more is it than what it should be? And what can we do to adjust it, to make it flow correctly? And then take those dollars and let's reinvest them in our protection for the best things we can do for our families. Mm -hmm. And then you said if, if their salaries do go up, if, if the county commissioners and the county judge do vote salaries, a salary increase, that doesn't take effect until after their term. After the next election cycle, because you can say he's going to be running, he'll get this raise if he's elected. The people get a chance to have a say. Okay. The, the, letting people vote is your check and balance in government, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. It's always your final check. And it's the, it's somehow the ball's been changed to where... They're dictating to the people the way it's going to be, take it or lump it, you know. <laughs> so that's, that's how we're hopefully my goal would be to change status quo. Yeah. And so I want to talk more about roads, Woodrow Road, as you mentioned. Um, it just, the situation seems to be because the city's not going to get involved, TxDOT's not going to get involved. It is the county's project. And the way it's going now, it seems like it's going to be, a, a, it's, it's going to be, you know, CO bonds or GO bonds, it's going to have to be debt funded. Is that fair to say? I would, I would say probably it's going to have to be. And that being the case, that means as an elected official, I have to come up with a, a, a revenue stream that we can take and dedicate to paying for a bond. 
and what's, what's the impact going to be to each homeowner, and then giving them the, the, the opportunity to vote it up or down. I personally believe when you do that, then as an official, I make the case to you as a citizen saying, if we don't get this done, we're going to have children's lives. We're going to have wrecks. We're going to get, it's going to be a death road. And it's, it's getting there now. And also, if we do this, we can increase the tax base of growth that's going to make everyone, uh, city, schools, and county, grow also because there'll be opportunity to have business development along the corridor. And, you know, when you sit back and do nothing, that's the problem. Nothing just kills you. Nothing really puts you behind the eight ball. And that's what they've done. And if you go out and talk to the superintendent, he's been here four years, he's highly alarmed by the fact that no one is taking this as a project to get done because he knows what's going what's to happen. And we can't put ourselves in that situation with children's lives or people's lives. I wouldn't do it in North Lubbock. I wouldn't do it in Northeast or Southwest or Southeast. You know, you want to be sure you put safety with your children. You've got buses running on that two-lane highway. Mm -hmm. You've got cars, trucks. You, you've got some 18-wheelers cutting through there. I mean, it, it, it's not safe out there, Matt. And, and I, I'm just alarmed that it's gone this far and yet not being dealt with. Yeah. So we're coming up with a strategy that can be done as a revenue stream to take to the voters. And then we, it's coming upon us to sell it. To, to make people believe that it is the right thing to do. If I can't do that, I don't need to stay there. <laughs> but but that's <laughs> okay. but that's such a unique uh, like b b uh, voter approved bond project because normally when you think about voter approved projects, they're for the benefit of everyone. Sure. You know, there are things like like parks and there are things like uh, you know the auditorium coliseum, things like that. This is just such a specific project that's the way I mean, how do you get people in, that's the way new, deal, been, in new deal to vote how do you get them to see the it, bigger it, picture it's like school bonds you know everyone benefits you go to you go to each community and see what the needs are just like a school so you get the schools in the north the south and the east and the west yeah. and there's something that they need done too and you put it together as a whole having people vote on roads fire stations police departments subs that's not old stuff i mean i mean new stuff this has been done traditionally for the history, mm -hmm. and people supported the, the detention center. That was passed by a vote of the people. The commissioners did good there. They got up and said, we got to have this for Lubbock. Lubbock saw it and said, you bet, and they got behind it. You have to sell it. You have to believe in yourself. Now, would it be easy to sit back and say, yeah, you're too stupid to know what's good for you, and I'm just going to do it anyway? And then, by the way, I'll get myself a raise for being so smart. Yeah, we've had some of that, too, in, in the, in the uh, stew. You know, I get it. But that's not right, and that doesn't build a democracy that we got to have here of citizen, of a citizen-focused community, yeah. and that's what we got to have. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about the big projects. Let's talk about basic just street maintenance now. Of course, th those are the number one calls I get. They're the number one calls county commissioners get too, which is basic road upkeep. They've um, said how they can that they, be okay. Let me give you a couple of deals. They they have budgeted this year. They put seven million dollars on Loop 88. For right away, I, I'm for Loop 88. Mm -hmm. You got to get ahead of it. Of course, Loop 88 are saying won't be built in 40 years. I yeah. won't be around in 40 what? years. <laughs> you know, okay. Well, so this year, I think they gave about three million, and then they're going to do it in increments of like yeah. one. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, how about taking care and of what you got before you jump out there and do more stuff? Yeah. You know, how about starting back at, at square one, 
before you jump to square 10, just so you look good with the, with the, with the beautiful people that this is what they want done now. You've got to take care of our maintenance now. They said, well, we did a million dollars worth of asphalt and caliche. There is a breakdown between the budget and the kind of equipment we have, the kind of operators we have that are not trained or understand how to do it. They're taking these county roads that are uh, caliche and they're scraping off the crown. The crown is what keeps the water running off, flattening it, they're putting, filling up the, you know, the gully, filling up the, uh, just uh, the bar ditches. Yeah, the bar ditch, excuse me. And, uh, and if it rains, you're going to have flooding, severe flooding. And they got to be trained on how to do that. You know, and so I need, I don't, you know, I'm concerned that the breakdown, like, and take the asphalt. You can shoot asphalt. I've worked on paving crews my whole life growing up. My parents had me shoving uh, uh, hot mix <clears throat> up and down the highway. I get it. I understand it. And there's things you have to do so you don't have it breaking off and crumbling on the edges. And I'm not sure that my impression is from listening to farmers and people talk, there's no training, they don't know what they're doing, and they're tearing up stuff, and then they, they scrape the crown off. It's going to really cause a hazard, any kind of increment weather we have. And these farmers cannot get their equipment in, they can't get their crop out with this kind of thing going on. It's, it, it's got to be a priority in budget, but it's got to be a priority in training the personnel that's going to be the local maintenance part. If we're going to have a local maintenance barn, to yeah. do this, be trained, and pay the right kind of wages to get the kind of skill level you got to have to know what they're doing because of the work they do, if they tear up, is a lot worse than trying to save a dollar here yeah. on salary. So do you think they're just doing it haphazardly? I don't think they know what they're doing on a lot of it. I really don't. I don't yeah. think it's on purpose. I just think, I just think they just don't know. Yeah. Because you're exactly right, and I've gone and I've traveled a lot of the dirt roads, and yeah, they're just... They're just flat. The water has nowhere to go. That's right. And, and when it floods, it floods. You know? Yeah. And in, in West Texas, you know, we, we may get one of those kind of rains. It may be like right now, drought. And then we get everybody praying for rain. And rain comes, and all of a sudden, we got a flood, and we can't, we can't go forward. We can't go backward. Uh -huh. You know, and so uh, it has to be done consistently to protect us, depending on how the weather does go. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to public safety and talk about um, – uh, fire and EMS services in the county, okay. you know, specifically EMS services. That's been, um, that's been discussed lately. If there's going to be any changes, if UMC is going to be more, well, they've already become more in UMC has already become more involved in the city. They're responding to responding to all the city calls. And then there's questions as to whether or not they're going to move in the county. If these volunteer EMS uh, groups can't sustain. So, I mean, how does how should the county get involved, if at all? Well, here the situation is this: the city council appointed a group of, of a, a councilman and a group of the different hospital representatives to formulate some kind of places they could start working together. Then they came up with some. I want to use the word guidelines, and they came to a smaller group. And it was uh, UMC, Covenant, Heart Hospital, uh, Grace Clinic, I believe at the time. Grace Clinic now is part of Covenant. And, and uh, to uh, monitor it and make recommendations going forward. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen what those recommendations are. But the thing is, you know, I, I'm going to use the city hall words, choice. They like choice. And you also have to be a way to understand that um, – 
uh, uh, how it's serviced and who, if it's, if it's either by zip codes, if it's by streets or location or whatever, or, or, or the, the uh, person's choice and, you, you know, you, you back and forth it, you know, on choice. Uh, it, 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 has to be, it has to be worked out by those people that know. If, I'm, if I had a, in a situation by covenant, you know, in minutes count, do I want to go clear across town to UMC if I'm already by covenant? Or vice versa, if I'm by UMC and I want to go to you know, covenant? There's got to be some balance there. I don't know where they're at on this thing, but it's going to take a lot of everybody sitting down at the table. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll have to show leadership in that area. The UMC belongs to the county. We're responsible for it. My view of that is um, I recognize the hospital as being one of the best places to work in the state of Texas. So my question is, why would I mess with it? If they're doing great and they're doing their, their mission, I don't want to get involved in an administrator, doctor, or patient squabble. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a health care specialist. Now, I, I, we do have input on the board. And there's been some great board members they had that are business people that understand the problem. They're, they'll fix it and they'll make recommendations. I think you have to let the process work itself with the kind of board members you put and allow them to work and encourage them to sit down and work with everybody to get to the what's best for the patient. And yeah. I think they both have that objective. Uh, it may not be moving as fast as we want, but we're also in a changing environment to where healthcare, the, you know, the margins are so thin that um, People are very careful about what they do and don't do, so it's got to be thought well thought out, laid out, and, and, and have leadership, but work together to, to make it work. So it's a competitive environment, you know. Yeah. My responsibility is, is certainly to the, like I said, is, is making sure we have the quality board members that can meet the challenge of a growing hospital that's first class in the state of Texas. Yeah. Cabinet's first class. Hard hospitals first class. I've been there when I was younger, you know, and I tell you, it's first class, you know. So uh, they're all strengths, you know. And and the enemy is not all of us. The enemy is how can we beat the bigger enemy, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's my focus on that. Yeah. So I watched the Chamber of Commerce debate. Um, wanted to talk with a few things that came up there. Um, one of the candidates for county judge, Curtis Parrish, is really he's. Um, you know, he, he has the only law background, he's an attorney, and he's, he's saying um, that there's a lot of judicial responsibilities in this seat that you and Karen just aren't addressing. So, I mean, how, will there be a steep learning curve and how do you expect to kind of go in there and then sit over kind of your probate matters and the guardianship and the mental health cases in Lubbock County? You know, um I disagree with the 70% uh, responsibility. Uh, like I said in, in that debate, when our founders of our constant state constitution set up our constitution, they set up a unique creature called the county government. And they set up district courts, district courts of law, where it does take an attorney to be a judge. They set up county court of laws where it does take an attorney. And then they set up a special court called commissioner's court which is a citizen's court, where you don't have to be an attorney. You can be a, a farmer, you can be a businesswoman, a businessman, you can be a, you know, a, a school teacher, you can be anybody, because it's a people's court. And that's how the Constitution set it up. And under that commissioner's court, they gave responsibilities. They gave the budget, they gave the probates, they gave the, um, 
guardianships. They gave uh, the uh, emergency operations uh, responsibilities. They gave the uh, elections to make sure the elections are carried out in a proper manner. Because the county is nothing but an extension of Austin legislature. We represent, the county of Lubbock represents the criminal justice system in a location. Mm -hmm. And so we're very, we're very focused on our, our we're very, uh, very, it's very distinctive what our responsibilities are. For the probation and for the guardianships and the, the, the mentally insane hearings and things, uh, there's, there's a, they have put an attorney in the county judge's office, the judges did, to assist and handle guardianships and the pro probates if anything is contested and to help get the backlog down. A lot of that backlog is not self-inflicted locally as much as it's the state laws have changed and they added to the burden and that there was not enough hours and to, to, to deal with yeah. it. So they put an attorney into the office with the staff required to handle it. And then secondly, if there's anything that's contested, you know, uh, it goes automatically to the county court law, mm -hmm. three, that will handle these disputes. Same with guardianships. And, you, you know, a county judge will be trained in the same courses statewide to handle the probates and, and things that are administrative where there's no contesting going on. So to say that 70% of that is there is not really a true statement. And, and, and then lastly, uh, you have a whole, I mentioned a whole floor of, of civil attorneys at the DA's office. Now, I don't understand why all of a sudden it takes an attorney here when you have the court law of threes to handle disputes or, or things not agreed upon. And then plus you have a civil division. Yeah, I mean, you've got a whole floor of them yeah. that can handle things, yeah. you know. So this is, you know, the thing I would say, according to our forefathers, if we take Texas history right and pass it in the public schools and are teaching it, is this was set up to be a citizen's court, a citizen, not a, an attorney court. Mm -hmm. Can an attorney be there? Sure, but it's not required. And in most a lot of the counties, you won't find an attorney there yeah. on that. So that's... Uh, Different perspective. Yeah, but I, but you would be different than, the, say, the current county judge, who I think does handle those matters. He handled, well, we so all you handle the administrative because the county judge is unique in Texas because it's a, it's a, it's sort of like the three branches of government. It's executive, it's judicial, and it's also legislative. So you have all three duties. Now, I could sit there and say, I'm going to handle just the executive and not do judicial, or I'm going to handle the judicial and not handle the legislative. But it, it encompasses all three mm -hmm. responsibilities. It's a unique position. And on the judicial, when you have someone already in your office and you, you have, like I said, a whole floor of attorneys that can help you if you need it, plus you're, you're trained to handle the general administration of probating wills that are non-contested. It's a matter of following the law, following the statutes, and understanding, as, a, as we do, we understand where people are coming from because we've been in their shoes, you know, uh, understanding that and following the law to help them probate their will or take care of these guardianships where children aren't left out there with bad situations or bad scenarios. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then it also came up during that debate, um, your resignation on the council. Do you want to talk about that? I think you well, were you were called out for you know, basically when the going got tough. That was too. That was uh, when I left. Uh, we were in a. I recall the history. We were in a recession at the time. We're a family-owned business, and I left because uh, we. That was when Obama was getting ready to be elected, 
the job market was tanking, and we're in a, in a job market business, and I had to make a choice of my, I'm not immune from anything in love like anybody else, and our business was starting to go in the tank real slow, and I mean, it was moving quickly and fast, so we had to make a choice that, do I stay here, or am I gonna go after my business and survive? I made a choice to survive, and I do the same today, because if I hadn't survived, we wouldn't have had a business. Mm -hmm. So that was a matter of what I, I need to do to survive. Okay, so there was kind of a wrongful termination lawsuit going on at the time, that was separate from? Any lawsuits involving the city, involved the, the city of Lubbock, not me individually, not Karen Gibson's treasurer, Mark McDougall, not any, not Tom Martin, not any of us. It, the city would be sued on every year about something. Mm -hmm. It was a city had been sued as a whole. Okay. So that was, that's consistent with what's been taking place. Okay. So the buzzword lately this past legislative session was, was local control. That's been the new, <laughs> that's been the new phrase. Um, a few county commissioners last session went and testified in Austin arguing against uh, the Senate Bill 2, which was a property tax reform, r lowering the rollback rate. The governor has since announced a new plan, lowering that rate to 2.5%. Um, where do you fall on that issue? I think, I think the phrase local control is phony. I think it's a, I think it's a word to, to misdirect people on uh, what, what's taking place. And um, I think um, um, local control, we got local control. Local control means you control the tax rate. I've never seen anyone put a gun to anyone's head and says you can't raise it if you need money or you can't lower it. But what, what it means is the effective tax rate is the same amount of money each government gets each year. It, it's the same amount they had the previous year. Now they also get 8% more money on top of that. That's called an 8% cap. So they get the same amount of money they had mm -hmm. last year, then 8% free money, free tax money. And that comes from appraisals and the appraisal valuation process. I call that taxation by uh, appraisals. Yeah, It's valuation taxation. Yeah. And so they like to say, well, if you take that 8% away, that cap, you're, you're interfering with local control. No, they're not. You can, you can raise your tax rate you can lower it. No one's taking away the, anything from you. The state has always had the rules, procedures of taxation. They write it. They've done it from the beginning of time. Nothing's changed. The argument is they want 8% free money. The Abbott and, and, the, and the legislature pushed it down to 4%. And it almost passed, but the House dismissed early. It didn't pass. So local control says, oh, we don't have local control because we want 8%, but they lowered down to 4%. You know, you still, if you need to go above it, just vote it. Yeah. Vote so, it. So what are your thoughts then when, you know, every year the city and the county come out with their budgets and they say they, they, they kept the tax rate the same? And, and then me and the media, I write the same thing. County passes a budget with the same tax rate, keeping the tax rate flat. I mean, what do you, well, you look what at your thought, they, what's actually, your immediate thought after that? What it means to you is you're at home, and last year you paid $1,000 worth of taxes. This year you pay 1500 or 1200 and you're saying, they say they don't raise their taxes, but I'm paying more money. How'd that happen? Yeah. You know, you're paying more tax money, but they say, you know, we did a good job, we didn't raise the tax rate. Well, because it's, it is a tax increase. Anytime you go over the amount of money you had previously to operate. Now they say, well, we gotta have it for growth. Well, guess what? 
you do get new growth money. That's always calculated in there also. So all that annexation, all this new growth, whatever houses, stuff, they go into the tax rolls and you get that, that extra money. Well, we need it for uh, some little projects we got, or we need to pay off uh, some, some uh, towers that we voted for It's gonna cost three cents. We need some money fast, you know. And so they, they sit there and say, we can't operate because they're taking local control away. Nobody puts a gun to their head and says they can't do it. You're entitled to every penny you, you want to vote for if you can sell it to the citizens. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they don't want to sell it. So if you go above the effective tax rate, then you're raising their taxes. Now that's just plain, simple math. They know it, I know it, and people aren't stupid. They know it. Mm -hmm. Then they know how it's being misdirected. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So you're running in a contested Republican primary. Um, voters right now are looking at the three candidates, trying to decipher how they differ. You know, how, how would you summarize the ways in which you differ from your opponents, all Republicans, all running for a county judge? I'm a businessman. And uh, I understand working with employees, with people. Uh, we were at one, one time the seventh largest private company in Lubbock, and we, it's, it's, we built it up. And um, as a businessman, I look for ways to be more efficient. That's my natural leanings. And I understand the value of a budget because my budget is my own money, whereas government budget is not their money. And so it's a lot easier to play with other people's money than it is your own money. And so what differentiates me is I've seen schools, and I've been in a school district when we were in the recessions. I've been in the city when we were in recessions. You know, and, and had to do things to to to, uh, to watch money and to come up with ways to streamline. I know city budgets, school budgets, and I've been, and I'm a businessman, and I also know how to identify issues and get to the sore problem of it, or core problem of it, and fix it. And and I'm real real um, focused on not playing games, and getting it fixed, like the you know the roads. Mm -hmm. Like the you know the building a progression plan for employees at at the jail or the or the sheriff's office or or the other places the secretaries and the staff support that need a career path to stay put when they're trained. We got to do things. You got to do that. So I'm real focused on knowing that. I know that. I would also say because of my skill level and what I've done in the past, two different governors of different parties recognized and put me in leadership situations to solve problems. I have done that. And I, I'm very focused on what it takes to solve, and I, I do that. So I would say that my experience is I'm the only one that has experience mm -hmm. in multiple government agencies, the only one that's been selected by governors and recognized what we have done as a, as a trademark to improve a situation. And, um, and as a businessman, I bring skill sets to the table that the rest of them don't have. You know, so... Um, uh, I would say that's the primary difference. What I would would say is why I'm more qualified than than my opponents would be. Okay. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Gary, I've taken up a lot of your time. I, I appreciate you coming in today. Um, that's all the questions I have. Anything we didn't get to, or are we good? I, I think we're pretty much good. Is uh, <laughs> I can't think of anything. I will say one last thing. Okay. Please. <laughs> a family of four in Lubbock makes forty-five thousand dollars a year. That's a little over 22 bucks an hour. 
and the time they get their take home, you know, they got to take care of kids, a family of four, take care of kids, school, soccer, baseball, basketball, volleyball, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, church activities, and the school is always nickel and diamond because they need help for whatever and always trying to help. And every time we raise taxes on people or we raise fees on people, because the city budget's gone up and, uh, you know, about $300 million in about the last eight years. And that comes from people's pockets. And I don't care if you're a rate payer, you know, it comes from the same wallet. Ratepayer, taxpayer, LPNL payer, mm -hmm. water sewer payer, it comes from your wallet. And we diminish their ability to survive and make a, a, a good living in Lubbock when we do things that are, are not, what I consider foolish and really harmful to democracy. Mm -hmm. Very good. So, Gary, I appreciate you. your time. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you, you very much.